right, everybody, welcome back to The Modern Majority with James, Zach, and our unpaid intern, Dusty Bottoms. How you doing, Dusty? Great. Mm -hmm. This is uh, season two. <laughs> you finally learned. Episode 14, <laughs> uh, Under the Scope of Nuance, Polls, Media, and Perceptions, Part 3. Today we're going to talk about perceptions on the extremes mm -hmm. and how oftentimes... Uh, the perceptions that we, the public, hold uh, can limit the ability to discuss anything with nuance that the media is kind of involved in that engagement. So we can throw a lot of responsibility at the feet of the media, but it's also the extremes within our own uh, flanks politically in this country. Well, in our own lives, too. In our own lives. Yeah. that Things you know, that keep us from having a more nuanced, nuanced conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see? See yeah. See how James wrapped that up in like literally three seconds and I blabbered on for almost a minute. Yeah, but we'd only have 15 minutes of content. <laughs> I like it. And so would our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Where everybody just realized right now, they're like, oh shit, if James like narrated or led through this, we would be done in about 20 minutes, which is what most podcasts are instead of two hours. Um, all right. How, how are you? Unpaid intern Dusty Bottoms. How you doing, buddy? Actually, for real. Yeah. How you doing? I know it's a shock we're asking, but from time to time we like to check up on the unpaids. Yeah, how you doing? No, I'm well. Speaking of the microphone, you, you can't turn around and look away. No one's staring back, I promise. Yeah. I guess I'm like, good, I'm happy school's almost over. That's nice. Don't play with anything that's going to make noise in the microphone. Man, it's like the more you've been with the show. The less, uh, le the less you speak. Yeah, that's so weird. Um, so school's almost over for you. Yeah. Got anything exciting coming up? Oh, like card party. Card party. What's card party? It's like a thing made by Pokemon YouTubers, where like you get to where it is like Pokemon trading. It's like a three-day event. It's in Anaheim, Marriott. Nice. And we're gonna go there. You shouldn't have said the exact location. I won't give the dates now. If somebody wants to murder me who listens to this thing, we're dead now. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people there. So. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, so no, be like five nobody wants there. to murder me bad enough to subject themselves to, to three days of Pokemon, Pokemon. Yeah, in a convention. Wait a minute. Are you going all three days? We are. Yes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah? So what do you do there? Uh, you do, I, I do don't Pokemon have Pokemon stuff. <laughs> okay. that's, right. that, there's trading. It's trading okay. of cards. Now you can sit so, there and go, so, I got this, like uh, you know, this Squirtle Squaddle. I got or this Electabuzz right here. An Electabuzz. Uh, do you want me to, you want to trade a... For an Entei? Yes, yeah. I would. That's how it happens? Yeah, that's how it goes down. Well, the kids are all, the kids, all three of them have binders that they're trying, with sets they're trying to complete. Mm -hmm. Actually, my goal is to try to complete all the rest of Pokemon Go at Card Party. That's a goal I want to do. Nice. So, essentially... Is there a good likelihood or a good chance that you're going to do that probably is there going to be any money exchanged like i'll trade this card plus 150 dollars because i'm in if that's the case i hope not okay good <laughs> that would mean he's doing bad trading yeah anyway so that's going to be fun and then they're going to get to see some of the content creators and then uh they have some things that they want to donate to a couple of their favorites for giveaways for the people who listen to the show so that'll be nice but yeah there's It'll be a fun thing, and it's something I get to do with all three kids. So, yeah. Something we all it'll like. Be, it'll be a good time. 
And that's cool. So it's mostly kids who are driving the whole trading thing. Like parents aren't no, going to be involved. No, I in think it. I think it's probably going to be mostly mostly single. parents, mostly single adult males that are like around our age that were kids so, when it came out, <laughs> or a little bit younger. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm going to be one of the few people that's there that has their children with them. Although I hope there's more of those people. Like yeah, I hope it's at least fifty fifty. But I want to say something. So bad we'll see what happens. Know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I mean, the nice, yeah, the the nice, the nice part is, is that we're just driving in. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like you and me when we went to college at state. Yeah. Right. It's like we drove there. Yeah. And for the people that lived on campus, they could never leave. Yeah. We we could, we could choose when it was too much. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. Peace out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so sorry, guys. Oh my God. This is outrageous. This show is so, so budget. Yeah, it is. Um, I didn't put my phone on silent. All right. Uh, Jimmy, how you doing? Um. Yeah, I'm pretty good. We're you know? bringing high energy here. No, yeah. I, I mean. How human do there you go. No, 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 no. That's great. That? That's a great. That's that? a great segue. Listen, Bottoms. listen. Yeah. yeah, this is why you only speak when spoken. Yeah, there was too. a moment for you to speak, and you you lost it now, and and I now you got to go back in the corner. No, we love it. Get back over. No, here. come on now. Right. Right. But just can you stop making noises? You're like, the third you're amigo, banging into everything. I'm pretty good. Can't complain. Yeah. Um, works uh, hell. I've been putting down a lot of hours. This is a haunted house now. <laughs> Excuse you, bro. <laughs> oh, wow. That's yeah, high that pitch. Was a, that was a follow-up. Um, no, yeah, it was pretty, it's, it's been pretty good. been pretty tired. Nice. Working my ass off. And, not, not, uh, yeah, not nice. Um, yeah. I, I think you gotta, I think we talk, call each other in the middle gotta, of the week. You got to tell the story about how you're, when you got up to go into work the other day. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. This is when you know work. you've probably worked too much and at the wrong hours. Like, So I got up and did my whole morning ritual, uh, You know, made myself some coffee, put the lunch in the lunch pail, went down to the truck, started the truck, got in the truck, and it was 11.15. PM and I want to be at work <laughs> until four AM. So I'd, I'd only been asleep for like two hours. Oof. So I was like, hmm, curious. <laughs> so I So I had that moment of disbelief where I was there's something wrong with my truck radio or my truck clock or you know, radio or whatever. Uh, and I, I looked down at my watch and it was no it was confirmed eleven fifteen. So went uh back into the place and uh promptly got back into bed and my wife was like did you just get up and get ready for work and leave and i was like <laughs> and now come back and i'm like yeah and she goes what time is it I was like, don't worry about it and at that point it was like 11 30 and she was like you're not going to work today and i was like oh. all right yeah because I, I i average around three to four hours of sleep a day yeah. i don't know how you're still alive, so bro. yeah i mean i've had like 12 hours sleep in the past two days so you know what i mean that's pretty cool yeah that's not bad but it's not healthy for sure. I'm no. dying slowly on the inside. I'm, I'm not even sure slowly anymore. I think I'm just dying. <laughs> I'm just dying on the inside. Uh, yeah. Um, and I called you in the middle of the week, or it was on Friday we talked, and I was like, how are you doing, bud? And you're like, uh, I'm just really tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my plane, my plane, which we talked about last time, was down to like one and a half engines, or maybe one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just it's listing. Just, it's, just it's, it's listing. You literally have me in there just turning full speed. <laughs> Like just holding it, cranking it, trying to level it up. Um, that actually earlier was not a slow, high pitched flatulence uh, by James or anybody else in the room. So um, true. It was the entrance into the studio by my youngest. Um, we'll call him Lucky Dad. No, we'll call him Captain Nugs. Nugs. Captain Nugs, you want to say hi? Hello. 
Captain, oh, I remember. Captain Nugs, how old are you? Six. He was in a previous episode. Do we do we do we call do, Captain Nugs? Is your nickname Captain Snugs? Yeah. So Captain Nugs nicknamed Captain Snugs. Nice. How are you doing? You doing good? Yeah. Yeah. Um, got anything exciting coming up? My birthday. Oh snap! What do you want for your birthday? Silver Tempest booster box. Oh my gosh, that's outrageous. Do you know how much those things cost? They're like a fortune. Um, are you going to any like special events before your birthday? Like with your brother and your sister and your dad? That involve Pokemon. And it starts with a C. And it ends with a Y. Card party. Are you excited about it? Yes. What set are you trying to collect? Silver Tempest. Very nice. I like it. Um, are you keeping busy out there? Yeah. You want to sneak back outside? All right. Open the door. No, no, no joke. No joke. That little dude right there uh, has is like ripped. He's got like a six pack and like delts and those like little cuts on the inside of the hips. And he's giving a thumbs up while he like slowly jumps on his way back out. And there we go. All right. I don't even know how he has it. And he's back in. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Eat, eat unhealthy. It's a, boy, it's a boys' weekend. It's a yogurt bar. It's a yogurt bar. I think that's unhealthy. <laughs> Yogurt's good for your gut, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. All right. So it sounds like we're all Wait, doing... We never asked how Zach's doing. Oh, yeah. No, um, plane, one engine. Yeah, one, one engine, plane, trying to keep it upright. I'm, I'm beat. I'm exhausted. Uh, I am learning to accept that sometimes... There are forces in the world that don't allow you to even uh, do the things you want to do, like via work or in the things you put your energy into. And sometimes you just have to accept that you're in a season and just get through it. So you mean when life gives you lemons, you just have to accept that it gave you lemons. Yeah, you don't you don't turn it into fucking lemonade because there's not a there's not a, a pitcher, there's no sugar, there's no water faucet. You literally just have fucking lemons in a desert and you just sit there Yummy. and that you walk and you like break into them for a little bit of sustenance so you can keep going under the hot sun. Sometimes when you break into them to get that little juice, yeah. part of it squirts into your eye and burns even more. Now you're blind. Like now, you're, now you're just wandering in a circle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you keep fucking going. Yeah. Because eventually, you're going to stumble on an oasis. A sand Or you're going to die. Way. <laughs> either way. Either way. Either way, it's going to be over. Either, yeah, either way, you got to keep going because... Some, Pain doesn't last forever. There's some sort of resolution around the corner. Yeah, I mean, over the next sand dune. self-limiting. Oh, man. That is, That's too many we have a, It's that a call-in show now. For. It is a call-in show. That is ridiculous. All right. I just realized that may go to a voice uh, thing, and I just realized, oh, my God. Well, we may have to cut this <laughs> and segment. Actually... We should cut this segment real quick now. We should not cut this segment. So that if there's uh, a recording going on, then we're good to go. Anyway, that's our intro. We'll be back with our Ukraine update. And uh, then we'll come back and we'll have our discussion on extremes and perception and how that stops us from being able to have a lack of nuance. Jimmy loves it. We are so Bush League here. Let's do this! Maybe this episode is hot mess. <laughs> this intro is called hot mess. It's the hot mess intro. And we love that you love hanging out with us for the hot mess. All right, guys. Catch you soon.
All right, everybody, welcome back to James and Zach and the Moderate Majority with our unpaid intern, Dusty Bottoms, for Season 2, Episode 14. So, Ukraine. Wow, you just mm-hmm. cut me off. Like, I was just going to say, two, we rock-bottomed in that intro. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Dusty wants us to keep going. keep going with it. From, like, from this is, this is why you don't have unpaid interns, because you try and do something nice. You give them an inch. And the Damn professionalism goes out the door. Yeah. Um... So yeah, uh, our episode 14, Polls Media Perspective, part three. But yes, Dusty, uh, although you were quick on the trigger there, uh, we are going to talk about Ukraine. Um, yeah, so we, the Russians apparently have taken and captured Bakhmut. But they haven't. But they haven't, but they have. I mean, this is Sunday, right? We're recording this. Yeah, so... Um, Bakhmut is at this point a desolate wasteland of rubble. hundred yeah. percent. Um, so I mean think Maripol almost. It best case Maripol. scenario right now from an outside perspective, and obviously, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh um geolocating photos or things coming into but I think the assumption would be that if the Ukrainians are in Bakhmut proper at all, it would be in the very southwest corner in a couple of industrial or slash residential buildings. Um, so there's not much left that they're holding on to. However, um, talking about taking Bakhmut without talking about how in the last week the Ukrainians had been att- counterattacking on the flanks and taking ground both north and south of Bakhmut, um, the uh, commander of the land force of Ukraine uh, just today released a statement saying they're, they're working on a tactical encirclement of the city. So it doesn't really count as a victory i guess if you hold rubble and then while you're taking the last of that rubble you're being encircled from the north and the south well then it took you how long to even take it right how many, how many people have bled for it okay and what's the strategic value of it so yeah you so we read a we read an interesting piece uh written by um by one of the guys uh, one of the guys in country in ukraine who are covering the war um I cannot pronounce the name, so I'm not going to try. And it's a hot mess today, so we should have had that ready for you. We're, like, breaking our own standards when we do that. However, it was just a a, a piece um, kind of that was posted out there uh, in terms of his perspective uh, on social media. Um, and it was an interesting point. He was saying how, you know, the Russians claiming to own 95, 98, 100% of Bakhmut is kind of a real odd way of describing victory in terms of a battlefield because whether you're seven kilometers outside of Bakhmut or you hold 100% of Bakhmut or you're five kilometers past Bakhmut, <coughs> um, what's the point in the value of what they just spent? And basically, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of artillery shells. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what most Western sources are saying, somewhere around a hundred thousand casualties over the course of ten months. Um, so yeah, I mean, what did you win? Yeah, what did you win? And then it was interesting because he talks about how you know people use the term Pyrrhic victory or a Stalingrad, which we gave a nod to last week. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in last week's show, which we just released before recording this one right now, um, which I think is probably what we're going to do ahead of time, just in case we ever miss a week. It just gives it a we, nice... We rarely miss weeks. You know, we, we miss months. <laughs> <laughs> we miss, we go big. Um, but he was saying, you know, when are we going to start referring to things in the future as a Bakhmut victory? Because the amount of military idiocy that went into this, um, you know... This, what did they say? Forty-two square kilometers of territory over the over the span of ten months was captured at that cost. Um, it's the most expensive real estate in the world at this point. Yeah, right, and and, and worthless mm-hmm. at this point in terms of infrastructure or anything else. Well, and we're also trying to figure out, and we've always been trying to figure out since this battle started, was what's the tra- strategic value of Bakhmut? Yeah, and 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 really, it seemed like it was a it had some moral value to it, like. You know, Russians wanted it. It, it, it sh- sh- kind of shows the hubris of war, right? Right. When you get entrenched in these like these little pitched battles, that Russia wants it, Ukraine wants it, and then it's like it's like a poker match. And a terrible analogy because people are dying, but like just going all in because you can. Right. You know what I mean? And it made more strategic sense for the Ukrainians to sort of honeypot this region of like saying, "Hey, man, we want this," and then the Russians are like, "No, we want it." Do you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like where the Russians pretty much culminated their entire offensive around this region. Right. To where it, they didn't really focus, and not that I'd follow the, the battlefield the, the, the same way you do, but like, or the front anyway, it seemed like they culminated around this place and then started throwing hypersonic missiles just as, as of like late this week, right? Yeah. So you're like, what do you, what, if there was ever an example of just how batshit crazy the Russian sort of strategy is, it's Bakhmut. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I mean, listen, I think we're at a point where we've shown real uh, deference and, you know, um, solidarity to uh, the Ukrainian people and the amount of death and the war crimes that are going on there. So I don't think when you say, like, it's kind of like the poker analogy, and actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go one further with that because there may be people listening that don't understand war or don't want to understand war because yeah, it's so sure. it's so vile to them. Yeah, and, and, and it's gross. And it's, it is. It's gross. It is. I mean, you you've how many times have you said on this yeah, this podcast? Like, I was watching something the other day and it made me kind of sick. Yeah, it's, it's it's vile and 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 it's and it's pointless and people's lives are extinguished forever. Yeah. Um, but on that poker analogy, it reminds me of a time when you and I were in college actually, and your brother and his buddies had a poker party, uh, and we went over to the pad into the backyard. Uh, and we were sitting at a table together playing, and this guy rolls in who I'd never seen, knew one of your brother or his friends, and thought he was some badass rolling in with like stacks of like hundreds, mm-hmm. and he just and because the rules and and the thing where you could just keep buying in when you ran out of chips and you could buy more chips, sure. and they had like a shitload of chips ready for this, and this dude would just buy in for a hundred bucks in chips. And then he would go all in with like a three, four offsuit. Mm-hmm. And remember, it was like pissing people off the table. And then everybody mm-hmm. figured out what he was doing. And they were just like, well, we're either going to stick it to this guy or lose all of our money. And he, he made gains early, but eventually like, and I, I think the dude blew like, like almost $1,200, $1,500. And then finally got pissed off and fucking stormed out. And I must have been drunk because I don't remember. This. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I specifically remember it because it was, it was also a very educational moment in cash games for poker sure 
and how people try and throw their weight around that yeah. way when they well, don't have, have, they have, cash, when they have yeah. nothing yeah and how they can push and dominate unless mm-hmm. you step up to it so and i think that's what the interestingly enough what the ukrainians did in bakhmut right is the objective the entire time was to pre- protect Slovyansk and Kramatorsk, which are two big cities together, kind of like Lihansk and Severodonetsk, except further up. And they they actually are very strategically important um, for a lot of different reasons. They've been uh, kind of the when before in when in two thousand fourteen when the war started and those kind of borders stayed, uh, Slovyansk and Kramatorsk were really uh, big cities in terms of kind of regional capitals to, you know, move move troops through and equipment and supplies but it's been about trying to keep the russians from moving in close enough to start degrading and destroying those two communities with artillery and stuff like that well they succeeded in that the focus became bakhmut and really you know there's been a lot of criticism in the west towards the ukrainians for how many men and how many good men professional soldiers they put into this battle. they've lost in this battle how many good people have died and a lot of americans and uh, foreign legion fighters that are fighting have also died. An American ex-special ops guy just died in Bakhmut last week mm-hmm. when the building that they were in collapsed after artillery came down on it. Um, and the biggest, the biggest kind of hurdle there was for those units to not get encircled and then and destroyed, kind of like with what happened with the Azov units in Mariupol. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's something that was you know, very uh, symbolic for the country mm-hmm. and a hell of a stand at the beginning of the war. But you lose everything um, when that happens because there's no way to get these guys out. And so, and they're still doing prisoner exchanges to get some of these guys back mm-hmm. out from Russian captivity. So, and they achieved that. They achieved that by, you know, by having the Russians culminate their offensive there and and waste what they've wasted. I think they just sent in another, like, couple thousand personnel of like paratroopers and vdv units i mean they're just throwing the best this the is best the way the war is going to go and i hate to cut you off no, but no, i just no, want to yeah, yeah. reiterate this point is this is the way the war is going to go and it, it's good it's going to be that slog it's not sustainable right for the russians no. no way i mean you don't you don't i mean we're beyond the point of just not having any type of value on human life five to one was the ratio of losses of russians to ukrainian and that right. was a conservative estimate right so that was best case. You're just looking at it the way you manage a battle and you wait, the way you manage a war. Like, th- that's just not sustainable. Like, right. at some point, if, I mean, this is what I've been talking about with some some people um, other than you. It's like, well, this is all that Russia has to do is they have to go to, like, these major points, these major, you know, like Bakhmut or some other city that's a major point for other places to protect. And all they have to do is just basically just, just try to break the Ukrainians this way. They have the manpower to do it. And you're sitting there going, no, nobody has the manpower to, to, to live through that 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 much of a casualty rate like yeah. you just you eventually it's just gonna be if it's a war of attrition someone's gonna give and it looks like the Russians not to say they would give but they would almost have to at some point you're gonna run out of good people <laughs> I think, to send in there I think they only have like half of our population actually it's really weird right like people often think like of 170 something yeah people often think of it's this huge country and they think of it of people, yeah. like yeah but there's actually like half of the po- of our population there, um, that I'm gonna just throw this out there. You would have to like we'd have to really check the numbers on this. But if if the Western intelligence numbers of a hundred thousand casualties spent for that forty two square kilometers of territory, 
is accurate. Somebody did some quick maths and said that for them to take the rest of Ukraine at that rate, they'd only need to cost the lives of a billion of their people. Yeah. And and so and so if you run those numbers, they don't have, they don't have a billion people. Nah. They don't even have twenty percent of a billion people. And as of right now, it doesn't look like anybody else is going to join in on the on the battle. So. Right. So um, we'll have to see where this all goes. Uh, we've there's big been, news out of Sweden, as you, Zach uh, informed me this week. Yes, they uh, there was a whole brigade of like five thousand Ukrainian soldiers that were secretly trained there and are done and are back in country now. Um, F sixteen. F sixteen coalition. Oh, no, uh, yeah, Biden. Biden's stepping out of the way. It doesn't look like the U.S. is going to give them, but a number of other countries are looking at giving their fourth generation. And um, if you're sitting there saying, like, what's the big deal with F-16s? Um, they're the only uh, plane fighter aircraft with, outside of a couple others that are quali- that are designed for air-to-air combat, um, air-to-ground, meaning taking out ground defenses, and also being able to intercept... Um, uh, missile systems so also basically ground defense through the air so they 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 can do all three i saw i was looking at a really cool venn diagram that had the different american fighter planes and like where they fall into what their capabilities are mm-hmm. um so and there's a couple of different f-16 models this would be the fourth generation one which can still do all those things but it would be massively huge i mean there's a reason that zelensky has been pushing for it and and that's because they want to be able to uh, deliver, and then the long range strikes, the missile systems you can put. I mean, the storm shadow's already been used, very effectively. They've been hitting Russian backward, you know, places where a lot of these Russian commanders and logistic hubs thought they were safe from the high Mars, mm-hmm. that they now aren't. Um, yeah, so it's a uh, hypersonic missiles. So hypersonic getting missiles getting getting shot down by the Patriot systems. We wonder how many of those they actually have. Somebody said that they can make, I was reading somewhere that they thought they were projecting that, that the Russians can make something like 27 of those missiles a month. Is that with the resources they have now? Yeah. Okay. Mm. How many did they shoot down this week? Uh, more than half that. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of resources to put into a limited, um, it has no, yeah, if it doesn't have the effect. It has the value, there. yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And granted, that's with two Patriot missile defense batteries. Two. Mm-hmm. Two. One shot down six itself. Yeah, technology is a great equalizer on the battlefield. Yeah. I mean, you give people who have a will to fight uh, the means to do it. Um, but I think there's a real coalescing. Um, I didn't get to read the article because I don't have a subscription, but the Atlantic. Oh, the on their on their dot com just did a uh, a piece based and I I'm quoting here or not quoting here but um, trying to remember exactly what the the paraphrasing is the correct term Zach on a Sunday morning um, it was something like uh, the world is the West has finally realized that it's not enough uh, for Ukraine to win Russia has to lose this war yeah. Welcome across the finish line. I think I think there's a lot of us that... I mean, obviously, I'm nobody. I'm just a guy with a podcast like everybody else in the world. But um, <laughs> I think everyone else has kind of realized that, right, a long time ago. That like, when Russia wasn't willing to sue... I mean, you looked at something like Mar- Mariupol, right? Right. Like, if you're willing to give up 
you know, as many men as you did and create that, that slaughter box, you know, uh, you just, you're not dealing with a rational actor here, you know? And, and, for, and I think I went off on our tangent with you on this week about how, you know, Putin was this considered this genius, this asymmetrical political player for such a long time. And I think we now realize that once he gets into a symmetrical game, which is warfare, right? That perhaps he's used up all of his genius on his asymmetrical warfare, right? You know, I'm not sure. I, I never was a quick person to say like this guy's a genius. I never thought it was. He was usually playing in a sandbox with burgeoning democracies in Eastern Europe, pretty easy to take advantage of the corruption that was already laid over those institutions because those institutions didn't have a you know uh, a traditional sort of uh, memory of maybe when things were better or no real value for non-corrupt institutional values. Uh, you know, they're trying to do this in real time, change from an authoritarian regime to a, you know, democratic regime. And there's always an overlay of the corruption that happens. And to take advantage of those, those burgeoning Eastern European democracies, I don't think took a genius to do. I think it took some right. money, it took some cash, and it took, you know, planning your right people in the right place right. to wreak havoc. Um, I'm sorry, I just don't see the genius of Putin, and I'm sure I'll probably have a hypersonic missile shot at my house <laughs> tonight, but I just don't see a, a, a anything genius of what he's done. And then if you put him into this symmetrical sort of warfare, he's proving to be ill-equipped and making the right decisions to protect his own people. I'm not talking about, you know, the decision to go into the war is something completely different. You know, that's his, he has to own that. But to the way in which they've managed this war up to this point is... I would say criminal, yeah. Know, in terms of doing what he's done to his it, own people, yeah. It's it the 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 after effects of what this is going to do to that culture and that society, um, is actually sad. And I think I want to close out this segment on this note. Um, you know, we're we're in the middle of the third part of nuance, um, and, and after doing an introduction to what nuance is, and I think at times, like obviously strategically stuff like that. I've been very in the detail, in the weeds, as Jim, as Jimmy would say sometimes. But I haven't had a whole lot of nuance when speaking about, you know, Russian culture um, or the Russian people. <coughs> and <coughs> this just came to my mind right now. So next episode, I will quote the source. Um, but there's a young Russian filmmaker who's got a YouTube channel who goes around and does interviews. And he's learned to ask questions in a way that will not get him in trouble uh, with the government, but is demanding some real thought and pointed questions from uh, Russian people. And so I've started watching a lot of these videos because he puts out a lot of them. And I think there is more um, dissent and disgust with what's going on in that country than we give credit. Um, I've now seen over the last week or so hundreds of different Russians and different of all different ages. Um, I don't think I can answer that question, but thank you. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, I have my feelings on this. Uh, I don't, it, it, don't know. They're, they're, yeah, they're negative, but I don't want to go into any detail on, on why. Um, so they're afraid to speak publicly. Yeah, some people, I should tell you a some, lot. some people will uh, make statements that skirt. Um, like there was a young man who was like, obviously I support our guys. I wish they would all come home and be safe. That my countrymen, um, you know, 
I'm wondering when this will be over and hoping it'll be over soon. Like, but you could tell that it wasn't the rah-rah. Like, well, what do you think about, you know, everybody said, if, are, we, are we wrong at the, all the whole West? I don't think I can answer this question. Um, you know, so you, I, I put myself in the spot of what if our country continues down the path that it's gone down with the MAGA because that's what we're that's what we're moving towards is that type of society where there's an authoritarian government regimes and we had a president before our current one who literally used politics to try to go after anybody he wanted to and has said as he's running now that he will enact vengeance upon political foes if he gets the White House again. That's exactly what we're talking about in Russia. That's what dictators and authoritarians do. That's what fascists do. Um, ideologues. So I think I'm trying to have a little bit more sensitivity and... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, understanding and grace for people who do not want what's happening to them, but know they have zero power to do anything to change it other than blood in the streets. And, and that's, that's easy for us to say. It's easy that's for easy. us to say, right. But, but we talked about this because yeah. I said, if we go that route, I have the means <clears throat> to pick up and go. Because mm-hmm. I got to think about this guy mm-hmm. and my other two. Well, he's unpaid, so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's protecting, giving your kids a, a future mm-hmm. is what matters most. So I understand some of these guys fleeing. We can all sit over here and thump our chest and be like, well, fucking stand up and get in the streets. But we never do. We're losing our rights across states right now. Women are losing their rights. And everybody just goes up, goes about their day. Yeah, a couple of people go out and march, but everybody just goes about their day. Nobody's throwing a, a wrench in the cog of the machine to stop it, to demand change. Yeah, I mean, that, that has there's so much... That you can unpack in that state, right? I'm yeah. just saying because we don't have the, yeah, I mean, we don't have the tradition of, of political activism, like say France. I mean, you you do something, a politician sneezes the wrong way, Fran- the French are in the streets. There's yeah, a, of course, there's a cultural significance. Yeah, look there. at Macron trying to raise the <laughs> age for two years to retirement. Yeah, well, and it's how he did it that yeah, they're not course. that they did it, you know. And, and there's not a political tra- tradition for us to be as outspoken. So we've always been afraid of ideologues, and we've always been afraid of 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 these. Um, really reactionary leaders that we've gotten in, in some parts of our history. And when we do get them, there's usually, a, there's a legal means to try to work things out where, gosh, what I'm trying to say, it's like in other parts of the world that even the law has, un, has kind of forsaken them. So they will take to the streets and they'll do all these things. I agree with you that the Russian people, if the more we've looked into this and the more I've looked into the history of Russia and again, I'm not an expert by any means, but just I've been interested or read a few things uh, and kind of did some some of my own research as to why they the culture is the way it is in terms of accepting such belligerent leadership. Right. Um, it, it's sad. I mean, goes, and I'm not back. saying I'm, I'm I'm not saying I feel sorry for them. I'm saying there is a there is a yeah. sympathy that you have to have with the with a, a sensitivity to yeah. the history. It, go, it goes back a, a long way. In a yeah. lot of ways, I'm sure the Russian people themselves are a lot more like us than they are not like us. But 100. But um, to the people that that know that this is wrong and feel trapped, um, I feel for you. Yeah, I, I really do. Uh, I I ache for you. For those of you that support Putin, 
Um, we didn't. We didn't. There was a lot of us didn't support the war in Iraq. Right. Right. For those of you that are fascists that 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 are over there enjoying killing, raping, stealing, you know, you get what you got coming. Mm-hmm. You know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, and 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 what the damage that you've brought about and your support has brought about, um, there's going to be a comeuppance for that, one way or another, and 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 that that's justice. And I don't want to. You know, belabor this point at all. I know it's just our update, but and we could probably have an entire show on this. It, it seems to me that the 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 remedies of dictators and authoritarians that was utilized by by those folks in the twentieth century are not necessarily going to be available to them in the twenty first. Right. I mean, for all the ways that we've taken a step back in the early part of the twenty first century, the one place that we've taken a great leap leap forward, if I could borrow that phrase from the old China, is <clears throat> there's not a taste for this shit anymore. Right. There, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who, who I talk to on a daily basis, who you have in your life, who are just like, this is fucking madness. Like, why yeah. do we still, why are we still doing this? Right. This is, tw- this is 20th century solutions to 21st century problems. Right. Like, I think we've realized because we've spent such a long time in a state of cooperation for the most part. Right. And the world order has been cooperative for the most part for the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Right. Um, not saying that it was perfect and people weren't left out. What I'm saying is that there has been such a level of cooperation that we look at, I mean, I think we are all appalled about what's going on in Ukraine. Right. And that's something that's relatively new to the human sort of condition where we're just sitting there going, "There's this is just absurd. It came out of nowhere. It seems like there's no connection to reality. Right. You know? Yeah. So that's a... If there's anything good that you can say comes out of the wholesale slaughter of individuals, it's maybe maybe we're to the point now where we're we're really truly questioning whether or not this is a practice that we even want to be a part of anymore. Yeah, we'll see. Humanity seems to let itself down generation after generation. That was, so my, we'll see. That was my only hopeful ah, statement of the day. I appreciate it. And I'm glad that I just crushed <laughs> it like a fly yeah. under my boot within three seconds. Yeah. Took me five minutes to get it out, Zach. You could have could have let it dangle for a while. Yeah, dingle, dangle, dangle, dingle. <laughs> All right, uh, we're gonna take a break, and then we will come back, and we'll hit you guys with uh, the extremes in American society, and how the extreme beliefs, and I, I think probably the megaphones on those extreme ends, uh, blunt really any chance to have conversations with any real nuance about serious subjects. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll catch you guys when we come back. Alright everybody, welcome back to The Moderate Majority with James and Zach, Season 2, Episode 14, Under the Scope of Nuance, Polls, Media, and Perspective, our Part 3. Alright Jimmy, why don't you kick this thing off, um, since this was your brainchild, which uh, was fucking brilliant, and brought and brought some semblance of uh, order and structure to this actual uh, mini-series that we're doing right here. Okay, so we're talking about nuance. The perspective, yeah. Nuance, perspective. Obviously, it's a very subjective thing. Right. Um, so what we're going to be looking at today is going to be the things in which we construct in our lives or the things that we have in our lives based on our familiar traditions or social concepts of what our, where, where our 
ideology meets sort of the reality and pragmatism of getting our our ideology into the real world. So you read a great article this week. Yeah, it kind of prompted me to to uh, to do this. Do you remember what it was called and who wrote uh, it? I have. I actually. I, Text yeah. this right, so yeah, you did. Take I was pull yeah. It up. yeah, so we could have done this when we were off. We could have. It's fine. If we would, uh, if, if anything was not a hot mess today, uh, it but is it's all mess. hot mess. It's all just juicy hot. It's mess. from NPR, actually. It's an, an yes. article from NPR. James Um, and, and it's it's a it's a article based on religion, May seventeenth, twenty twenty three, by Scott Newman. The faithful see both crisis and opportunity as church closes closes across the country. Um, so you're seeing a massive amount of churches close across the country and a large part, um, in certain areas, obviously geographical areas, it's because of the message of the churches. Got it. You know, that was one of the taglines in the article. It was, so what, so, so it, with the churches or the experience that Newman's covering, are these, are the messages not, I guess, uh, right wing enough for these yeah uh, certain in certain geographical areas they're they're or are they too right wing and they're too right wing so it's geogra- yeah, so di- based areas. on different geographic yeah. areas there's obviously both. a reason why people are leaving the church or the, the uh, organized religion one of it is has to do with the Ooh. <laughs> that is that's a, that's a special pitch it's, it's a special it's pitch awkward. yeah uh one of them has to do with the fact that uh, in certain geographical areas the things aren't right-wing enough and other times it's not tolerant enough of the uh in particular the lbgtq community as we're seeing across the country the state you know the state's legislatures who are you know constructing laws that you know that prohibit the behavior of transgender people or even based on no nuanced discussion no nuanced discussions based on whatever they truly believe their world their worldview is well it's a very black and and white perspective i started thinking about this in terms of nuance right right what are the things that keep us from having a nuanced conversation in this country out in the public and that's when i text you like hey maybe we need to give this a nod like to start off a conversation about the things that we put in our own lives like that would keep us from having a more nuanced conversation. I think you kind of admitted one during the Ukrainian update, which was, you know, your idea of maybe early on what you thought of the Russian people. It's a visceral, visceral reaction yes. to the like bad things that you're seeing. Yeah, but I mean, you have to, part, but you part, like have to actively go out and seek sure. some sort of temperament to temper those emotions, temper your own emotions, or else you can fall further and further into part an extreme hole. Is our human experience, right? Right. We are reactionary. You know, if somebody comes up and slaps you in the face. You're not going to sit there and try to have a more nuanced approach to it. You're going to be like, "Well, f you, bud." Like we're going to go at it. You know what I mean? It's like there's that there's that emotional response that creates a, re- a reaction that creates a chain of events. Now, it's a little different when you're talking about something a little bit more intellectual or that needs to be intellectualized. God forbid anybody accuse us of being intellectual, but intellectual, <laughs> intellectualized, like uh, the concept of, say, a political ideology or a worldview, how you build that worldview, if you take the time to even build a worldview, because I think there's a lot of people who are sort of apathetic of even trying to build a worldview anymore. Of course. And like, I, I think about you and the conversation, the nuanced conversations you try to have, you try to bring with your workmates at, at your job. Oh, yeah. It's just terrible. And, like, you know, for the guys on the right, you can't have that conversation because everything they do when they go home is to watch, you know, or used to watch Tucker Carlson. We don't or, share a reality. Or Sean Hannity, yeah. right? So, like, there, there's no nuance to their... They're, they're ingesting something that's not nuanced. 
And so the foundation of what they believe is not nuanced. Well, let's and, put it let's put it in, in sort of an, a linear linear form. If I'm having a conversation with somebody who's on the right who does take in Tucker Carlson as the gospel and everything that he says is probably true without any type of critical analysis, then what I said, we don't share a same reality. Not That works for them looking at me as well. They right. look at me going, dude, this guy's off kilter. He doesn't even know that the great replacement theory is not really something that is real. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm looking at this going, dude, you're using a racist trope. That is dangerous at best. So we're not sharing just but, the starting but only, point of But only one of you is grounded in reality, sadly. That, yeah, that, that, I, would, that just, I would say so. See, yeah. I just want to throw that out there because this whole idea that we can all have our own facts. Yes. I don't want somebody to take what you're no, saying and I'm not jump trying on to say top that. of that. This is, I just no, no, want to I, say I know it's you're not. a lot more complicated <laughs> than course. just me having a problem with talking to guys at work based on a shared reality it, or even a shared reality and, that we have a difference. And I, and I was going to talk, I was going to throw in there because I think one of the things that you and I were talking about when we were like, okay, this is where we're going to end this kind of little mini discussion on nuance was that like, we, you know, get a lot of flack from people who do choose to respond that we don't know um, that like, we're not in the middle. You know, it's either a, a right wing MAGA guy who thinks that we're just like leftist hacks mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, somebody who's progressive who thinks that, like, you know, we're too old in the middle of the road and sold out, you know, and, and have sold out to the way that the, the powers that be, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you have you have a couple guys you talk to are, are, that are progressives on the far left. And it's the same thing. You try and have nuanced discussions about things and they refuse one guy in particular refuses to to budge off of these like black and white stances like to, to points of outright accused you of like certain things and name called on you mm-hmm. because you don't see something the way he sees it but he's only seeing it from one singular thing and you're trying to say like there's like at least five or six different ways that we can parcel this mm-hmm. and like look at the issue and probably how we solve it or address it there's a little bit in all that and we need to kind of understand the perspective on the breadth of this thing. And he's just like, if you don't, if you are even saying this, then you're this. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, you'll try and talk to him about politics and why it's important. And it'll be like, Joe Biden's old and he's an old man. And and I I don't relate to him at all. And the whole system just needs to burn to the ground. Mm -hmm. And you're like, uh, how does that look? Do you, yeah, you say that it it, it just, it just does. There's never like a deep, a deep dive into like, if the system actually burned down the ground, what would that mean? Like yeah. what? What ramifications and consequences would there be for that? Well, and what? And what? Folks. What would fill that vacuum? And history says nothing fucking good. Well, it's the same folks. I mean, and granted, this is many years later, but it's the same folks who were saying in two thousand eight, just let the banks fail. It's like I'm all for letting banks fail, but we need to realize that there's a consequence to that. Like, and granted, there was a big part of me who's like, yeah, let them fucking fail. They're the ones who got us into this mess. But the problem is, is like they've. They've literally they got, got us, us by, the balls. by the balls. And it's like, if you let these banks fail, we all fail. then what comes in? Right. Right. Because I remember being, and I, and I don't know if there's a lot of people who listen to this, but I remember hearing stories of by my grandparents and by my grandparents' friends of the Great Depression. And I've read, you know, Studs Terkel, you know, the, the uh, was it The Hardest of Times, that book, or The Hard yeah, Times? Yeah, yeah. Um, Hardest of Times. And you're you're just... You're, and there are a whole lot of other, you know, testimonials from people who lived through the Great Depression. And 
not just here in the United States, but worldwide and what that, how that affected not only culture, but affected just individuals in terms of how they ate, where they lived. I mean, you're talking to a guy who had his, his my grandfather hopped on a freight train when he was nine years old because there was just no food in the house. So he's ride the rails, you know, go to place to place, work for food. Right. It's crazy. So when people tell me like, yeah, we should let the banks fail. It's like, okay, well, what's the plan? <laughs> I need to have, yeah, the, I, I mean, need to have the next step because I mean, we need to have a financial system. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, and people, people don't, <laughs> people often look at the United States as this monolithic, they talk about a, a non nuanced way of looking at our history and where we are this like monolithic force of good. And it's always been this great, amazing thing. And you just, you were just talking about the endemic of, of mass shootings that is basically just, just weighing Texas down at this moment in particular of, and, and it happens in a lot of states, but there it's become a real fucking problem. And you were saying, thanks Federalist Society for, you know, saying that culture doesn't get to evolve past 1776. Right. You know, and yeah, that's a problem when you go back and you're like, no, we, we need to go back to 1776 and what culture was and what it stood for. And this is all that it's ever supposed to be. It's a starting I mean, point. I mean, that, that, that is the same thing with people in religion who want to go back to a moral code or a cultural code from 2,000 years ago from a, a, a group of writings written over the course of about 500 years that they piece together. So, you know, taking that back to what I was saying, you know, there's the revolution here. There's a fucking vacuum. And, and if you've actually done any real reading on actual history, like it was not fucking pretty. Hmm. I mean, and people weren't happy. That's why you have Shays Rebellion and the Whiskey Rebellion. That's why you have Washington seen as his modern day historians as the greatest president because he kept it together. The the you know the Congress and the Articles of Confederation abject failure. Living in the Confederacy for most people abject failure. For African Americans for large swaths of this history, Jim Crow abject failure. For Japanese during the internment era of World War II abject failure of society like you can go back i was reading articles about how a lot of these states and these new laws that are being put in place and the people that are being elected to represent the gop in a lot of these states tennessee north carolina just had a representative stand up on the floor and start talking to a democratic rep who's african-american who is a superior court judge in the state graduated from harvard Mm-hmm. And just happened to walk track that, you know, would he really have had the same opportunities at the school, public school he grew up with in terms of its pacing if he hadn't had the benefits of getting to Harvard and playing athletics? And I mean, it was like, I'm going to deduce you to the color of your skin and the athleticism argument and your minority and took away all of his achievements. Now, there was massive blowback from that. He was actually cut off in the middle of his speech. When people saw where it was going, he has since apologized, but he's not really sorry. He's just unveiling the curtain of what the person who was writing the article calls the attempt to, for the new South, right? There, for the longest time since the Civil War was over, it's about trying to keep the old South alive. Mm-hmm. There's a new political movement to reinstate those ideas, but under a new South. Well, it's funny that you say the new South because the South went through a rebranding period in the 80s and 90s of not being the South, the old South of Jim Crow and all this. Right. The new South was, hey, more inclusive. It was much... A, it's a, a new old place. South. Yeah, and so now you're seeing the, the, the name 
the new South become a little bit more uh, right. old Southy. I would say this too, and this is kind of what keeps me up at nights, just because I think about stupid shit like this. Is like you named a whole bunch of stuff that was that was instrumental in, in shaping our country from the founding all the way up in a very quick way, very succinct. Only really a historian could probably do that. Um, but look at it this way too: um, the Great Depression. You know, one would have to ask ask yourselves like, does fascism even get started? Does it even take hold if we don't have the Great Depression, a worldwide Great Depression? No. Does um, does communism ever become the force that it does if we don't have a complete collapse of the capitalist system in the in the in the Great Depression? Right. Right. These things got their legitimacy because there was a a fault in our economic thinking that right. led to our you know a fault in political thought and also an overreaction in political sort of uh, reality. Right. People looked elsewhere for real answers and in some cases real answers that would lead to actual food um so you can't fault those folks for flirting with new ideas but you know we've had 2008 we had you know a great recession and out of that we get the tea party right and then out of the tea party comes maga so one can say you know without these these momentary lapses of you know say economic stability and political stability that goes along with that, we then go into this generation of, and I would say generation because last communism and fascism took us. I mean, we're still in some ways fighting these these forces abroad, you know, yeah. in terms of and 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 we also now interject, you know, intellectualism and stuff like. Should we even be fighting these forces? Aren't we the real evil empire and stuff like that? We were talking well, about yeah, Chomsky. And, yeah, right. So that, that's a great segue because you can look at it from foreign policy too, right? You got Robert Kennedy. Mm-hmm. who's going to run throwing his hat in the ring to try to take out Joe Biden in the Democratic primary. Um, a progressive, a lot of people would say, anti-vaxxer. anti-vaxxer, and just was on Fox News blaming 400,000 Ukrainian deaths on Joe Biden, which is you know a tagline from Noam Chomsky, who's a well-known progressive. If you, you know, are, he was progressive before there was such a thing as yeah, progressive. Yeah, progressive. If you're an avid reader of thought, and like you said, had a... Really good synopsis uh, of, you know, kind of the global system during the Vietnam era. Um, I was even a fan of his Sorrows of Empire, um, which talked about kind of how the military industrial complex came to the forefront of the U.S. and kind of our unspoken empire of the kind of the the 90s and the early 2000s. And manufactured consent. Yeah, as, as, as that started as that started to kind of flounder. But. The problem with anything is, is when you fall into an ideology and you lock yourself kind of further into an extreme to, to sit there and now blame the Ukrainian war on Joe Biden and America and the West is just absolutely absurd because this, this war doesn't exist without Vladimir Putin. And, you know, it really lets him off the hook. It really lets him off the hook. And, and, and it lets all, it lets all people, it lets all dictators, authoritarians and warmongers off the hook because they're just reacting to you right yeah you know they're reacting to the fact that you put nato on their front porch yeah. and like wouldn't you if if russia had a, a international compact and they put something in mexico wouldn't you wouldn't you be acting the same way wouldn't you invade parts of mexico to keep you know this russian you know led you know compact off your front porch it's like i've had this thrown at me so many times since the beginning of the ukrainian war and it's like no. but they don't first of all yeah i mean let's let's be honest if if they were capable of putting together an international, you know, compact to where they were a force to be reckoned with, it would require some 
some decent acting on their parts. Right. And the fact that there's not, I mean, you're seeing this. We don't, we don't, we don't, coalition with China yeah, we don't, ba- we don't badger Europe into being a part of NATO. Right. They, they're willingly a part of well, it. Well, I mean, France, France has left NATO in protest once before. It's like, you're, you're allowed to leave NATO right. if you yeah. want to leave NATO. Right. No one's going to sit there and say, well, we're going to invade I, France I, if you I, do. I wish Hungary would. Right. <laughs> Most people but, do. Uh, but like, you know, it's, it, but that, it's a really easy argument to break down if you just it's have, just, with, with some nuance, you just sit there and say, so basically you're saying, if we weren't talking to countries like Ukraine who wanted to be a part of NATO, Finland, Sweden, it, so first of all, what it does is that argument sits there and it, it makes, you know, somebody like the U.S. or any other superpower an, an, evil, an evil player, but, but it sits there and says, you think that you're the only thing that matters, but at the same time, it completely supports that thought of what you're accusing the country for by saying that Sweden and Finland and Ukraine Aren't don't, so interested. Yeah, don't have a will of their own. Yeah. And that they're not, the they're, not, of, they're not choosing. In they're the not age choosing. of agency. And yeah. I think we do live in an age of agency where everyone <laughs> has agency over their own body and we have consent rules and we're now really getting to the nitty gritty of, of agency, right? Of people having their own agency uh, or agency over themselves. We are literally accepting an argument that Russia has no agency in this. They were cornered by the United States to act the way that they're acting. That we that we that we've, we have we forced, forced all these other countries right? into this and alliance at, and this economic. Yes. And thing. look at the reality of this: a NATO country has never attacked another country. Right. Right. NATO has never belligerently attacked nope. the Ru- Russia. There was never a hot war. I mean, you can say Vietnam, Korea were were about as hot as it could get. Yes, it was clandestine and all those spy war movies and wonderful things that came out of that. It's awesome. There were certain casual there were certainly casualties of the Cold War. But what I'm saying is there was never the NATO's never acted belligerently towards Russia. Right. Yes, you can say that maybe putting nukes in some of these countries is acting belligerent. But Russia was doing the exact same thing okay, yeah, in Eastern, exactly. in Eastern Europe. They're, they're countering each other. I, it was a game of chess, and they lost. So I can, I can, we could, we could dumb it down even more if you want to. You're literally saying, if these people are asking for something, do not give it to them because you have to ha- allow Russia the freedom to dominate its neighbors and in, impose their will the upon of them. Influence, argument. right? So like, so you can't have it both ways. So the sphere of influence argument is wonderful. And, and it's like, so it's literally Cold War thinking in the 21st century where it's like, so it's understood that America has a sphere of influence in places like, you know, the Middle East or, <laughs> or in Latin America and all this, even though most people are like, dude, like we shouldn't have that sphere of influence, right? Yeah. It, we, even though we do, right? And that Russia naturally should have Eastern Europe as their 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 <laughs> sphere of influence because of the geograph geographical proximity. And you're sitting there going, "Wait a minute! You're the same people that says that say that we shouldn't be the world police, that we shouldn't have sphere of influences. We should act yeah. in accordance to our own interest, but only domestically." It's like I, I don't understand this whole idea of no one is owed a sphere of influence. Right. You have to earn it. Now you can bellig- you can do it belligerently like Russia has done, and in some cases even the United States has done. Right? I mean, the nineteen fifties and sixties in Latin America, appalling history, right? Of the things that we used to do down there in terms of just regime change, assassinations, um, the church committee is. I just I just basically tell everybody go to the church committee hearings and you watch them on YouTube and you're like, holy shit, I can't believe we were involved in that. Right. And this is the church committee was in the 1970s, right. really talking about assassin political assassinations we did in places like South America and right. Central America, 
Guatemala in particular. Right. Appalling, right? Yeah. So. 50, but, 50s was not a good era. But again, then again, it's like you're sitting there going, don't, like, here's the thing, we're not owed that, right? We did this thing as a sort of a, a major superpower player that, because nobody could stop us. Like, there's no world police, right, right. that's going to stop us from being, having a sphere of influence. We just do because we do it either through markets, we do it through military, we do it through intelligence, um, we do it culturally, we have cultural exchanges. I would say Japan has been one of those well, things hey, that since the listen, end of the war we've done culturally. There's a reason that we don't have the warmest relationships with Central and South American right. countries. Right, and it would be nice to have those warm relationships right now. But we are we're paying, paying a price. For, we're paying a price for those actions and to sit there and go, oh, well, no, those people should all just be warm because they're in your geographical location is stupid. Silly. Yeah, just like they... But, we're owed, but according to their theory that they apply to Russia and yeah, Eastern we're, Europe, we're, owed, we, we're, we, owed, we're owed them. Like, yes. so everybody, it's like China, the Monroe Doctrine. So China should just stay out, even though China's heavily vested in South America. Russia, heavily vested and in South Eastern America. And Eastern Africa, and right? Northern Africa, and, so, and the Middle East. So it's like, so wait a minute. So we can't do it to them, but they can do it to us. Right. Like... And where does that where does that square? I don't understand how that happens. And like we use that just to kind of make a point, but for me, what I see is whatever their whatever people have in place in their lives between belief systems, whether they're going to church and they're listening to a preacher who's preaching politics to them um, in an age of confrontation and conflict, or um, you are watching, you know, news. Or cable news or listening to a podcast which you know is just spouting out you know non-factual propaganda the more you go to the extremes whether it's the left or the right the less nuanced the arguments get and the more you try and have conversations with folks that live in those spaces that have constructed things within their lives that have a foundation in that space it's very difficult to have that conversation i mean I don't know how many times I've talked to young progressives and been like, you know, the selections coming up. Uh, well, if it's Joe Biden again, I just don't know if I'm going to vote. Why? Well, he's old. Oh, okay, but why? Can't get excited about it. Can't get excited about it. he's old. Don't didn't really have. I don't really connect with with him. Too old. Like we need we need young blood. That that literally that I don't, that, that that literally has nothing to do. With policy, right, or policies he's enacted with moderate Republicans and Democrats that have voted for those policies, even conservative Republicans that have voted for some of those policies. I'll go a step further. No, none of none of those things have anything to do with that. But that's as far as you can get. Yeah, there, there's no discussion on the like a lot of things that a lot of progressives actually really like or would like if they knew. But they don't even know about the policies that have been enacted. Because they don't care because they don't follow him because he's too old. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I always tell my progressive friends that tell me this. I hear you. I get it. The guy's old, right? Um, didn't keep him from being a very successful president the first term. I mean, if you look at just the accomplishments, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you get into the weeds with him a little bit, um, and I'll just... This is just about three people that I talk to that are progressives that I, I can condense on their argument, is the fact that they almost feel like the choice has been made for them. That the party political machine has picked Joe Biden to be this, to be the person. And no matter who runs against him, it's going to be Joe. But we fail to realize that, like, and I was trying to point this out to some of my friends just recently, actually, um, that Joe was behind, right? It wasn't until South Carolina right. that Joe 
and and it was really the African American community in right. South Carolina that broke hard for Joe. He was way Joe. behind. He was, like he fifth, was way sixth. behind. And then South Carolina comes in, and he that's when he starts his ascent, right. ascent to winning the nomination. Your problem isn't necessarily with Joe, and your part your problem isn't necessarily with the people who vo- are with the people who vote for Joe. Your problem is with actual democracy itself. Yeah. That there's going to be people who just don't see it the way that you, you see, see it. it. And you're going to have to live with the political reality that this is... The, by the time you, you get to the you know the Super Tuesday in California, all of this, and gets voted in, this guy's... Marty, Marty, he might already have a lock on it. Yeah, I mean, the majority... The, and that's okay. The majo- it sucks being a, a California voter and, <laughs> you know... And but, but you, but you, but you. By the time the polls close, the things have already, the things but have you, already been decided. But you, but you can, you can still vote, and you should. And you, you know, should. it's you like, your, yeah. it's like if it was, if it was just that simple and that basic, then whoever won Iowa in the past should would have been the winner. And that's just not the way it is. No, and it, it just comes to show that there's more people in some of these other areas, and that's a lot of the shifting that's happened, and there's been a lot of grief and non-nuanced discussion about the primary changes, right? South Carolina is going to now be the leading way. And people are like, well, Joe, move that because, you know, it's, ben- it's, it's beneficial. And the reality is, is it's a more diverse community. When you still have Iowa... New Hampshire's probably still going to do it. And New Hampshire, you know, that are not diverse communities and, frankly, don't represent really, uh, you know... I read an article the other day about New Hampshire primary. One of the reasons why, and this is a person who's just speculating, but he was, I can't remember the article's name, so obviously this is, this is a hot mess um, take, um, that there was a reason why they had a small state like New Hampshire being the lead off, right? Never, nobody ever really gave shit about that because you, the amount of money you would spend in New Hampshire is not the same amount of money you would spend in a larger state. Right. So if you weren't going to do very well, well, you didn't waste all your fucking money. Right. Oh, you know what I mean? And yeah. I thought that was a pretty interesting take. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how true it was, but it was like, it makes sense. I mean, all you, I mean, politics is a neighborhood thing in New Hampshire. Right, so you're not having to do a, a statewide, you know, political push in New Hampshire isn't the statewide political push you're going to have in Texas. You it, know what I mean? It's 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 the the thing that I think the thing that's intriguing to me is that like when you look at the article you were talking about and the shift that has happened within, uh, and I, I say this like it's a monolithic group and Christians in America are not. This article is very specific about pointing that out. But for the for the Christians that have become like MAGA, you know, you're ta- you have preachers preaching and there's like assault rifles being held up, you know, at, at podiums and they're taking political donations and they're cheering for, you know, Donald Trump or, you know, migrants being locked up on the border. I, I went to a really conservative church when I was growing up, Lutheran church, uh, where I was growing up. And, and certainly when I was uh, volunteering and doing a lot of stuff there in the, in the youth ministry, um, the youth minister and the uh, head pastor were very conservative in their politics and just their belief system. Um, and it's always amazing to me, uh, while I was like doing youth ministry and like having small group discussions with kids, one of the things that started to eat at me was like, I was always talking about how we were so... Um, we were such this forsaken minority that the world didn't understand and the world was this dark place and we had to stay on the straight and narrow to get this, you know, this this life with God and, and heaven and eternity and that nobody understood us and uh, everybody liked to talk bad about us and beat us down 
And if you look to the Bible, it's the Romans doing it. It's the, you know, the the Pharisees and the Jews doing it. I mean, it's just people being murdered and beaten and just, you know, most of the, the early Christian heroes are these people that persevered, you know, turned the other cheek and just kept persevering despite horrible things. You look at the book of Job is literally God just... That. God just destroying this guy's life so that he can prove to God that he has faith in him and believes. Um, and I'm simplifying that, right? But like, I, I it, it, it blows my mind when I think about Christianity today and guns and hate and laws to keep people from doing things, uh, laws to take away rights from other people. For a, for a group of people that has built its culture and it's a religious identity on persecution for what they believe in uh, and and the and the the focal point of this religion is unconditional love and grace I I, I can't even I can't even logically parcel where they made that jump because guns, Rising up against the government. I love you so much, I'm going to kill you. Revolution. Taking away LGBTQ rights. Um, making little girls and little boys show their genitals to doctors so they can play sports. Or political, you know, people. Which is what's happening in some of these states with these laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's that freedom? Huh? Now I got to have somebody looking at my kids' private parts so that they can go play soccer? Fuck you. I don't think so. I don't think so, pal. Um, like that's a, that's an insane jump. There's been a, an incredible structure put in place in these people's lives to be able to make, make that leap. And, um, but can I just throw out a point there? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's when you, they literally have stopped being what they are all, what right. they're supposed to be all about. So it's, it's when, when you take an internal sort of framework on how you look at the world and how you build a worldview. And we've always, Zach and I have talked about religion forever, from a point of believers, point of a not a non-believer. We've had a lot of conversations to, to me, on the to stoops. Me, to me saying things and, and jams and a couple of our buddies taking five quick steps yeah. back from me because they thought lightning was going to strike <laughs> strike me down um, from the sky. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, so we've 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 had these conversations before, and it's when and you, I was like, "You're fucking agnostic. What are you doing?" <laughs> I was a I was a full blown atheist at the time. You're like, I'm just hedging my bets. Uh, yeah, I'm just hedging my bets. <laughs> so, um, but uh, when you look at like when you when you create a worldview that is built on certain principles and those principles then become dogmatic values and then you try to if you then you try to make the internal external like you know this 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 walk with god becomes now a forced march for everybody to walk with god you know what i mean it's like whoa 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 guy i thought we lived in america and we all have a choice whether or not we want to even be religious we even believe in this stuff. I mean, we're a nation that beget Mormonism, right? And I'm not talking shit about Mormons. Like, hey, good for you. You you have a religion; it works for you. But it's like any. It's like a religion saying this is this. Every religion claims to be right, right? They have the right view, the right worldview, the right internal sort of structure that you, if you were to believe in this and walk this way, then you're gonna know God when you die, or you know God every day of your life, whatever the hell it is. But then saying to the guy who's not of your faith that you got to walk too. And it's like, you got to walk this path too. And it's like, whoa, 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 dude. It's like, why are we limiting our choices in America? And I just think anytime, but that's just not a religious thing anymore. That's also a political thing, right? And it's 
what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, when we start looking at our parties as an expression of our philosophical selves and saying that we're right and they're wrong, it's like, yeah, dude, there's going to be times where we're right and they're wrong. And newsflash, there's going to be times when they're right and we're fucking wrong. And there's always those suckers in the middle that I used to talk shit about all the time. And now I'm finding myself smack dab in the fucking middle of going, dude, can somebody just speak like sense to me? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it has to be this black and white. Right. Never in my life has it been this black and white where, you know, that's why I'm saying like the, the meter that, you know, we have that, right. that, that clock, the yeah. doomsday clock. Yeah. My, doomsday, <laughs> my, my own doomsday clock is like, I'm going to have a bullet put in the back of my head <laughs> in a camp because it's like, I don't buy into your bullshit and I don't buy into your bullshit. Now, when you, when I talk about politics and I, I express myself politically, yes, I, I'll be the first to admit that I learned lean way left according to some folks, right? If you look at the political spectrum. But if I talk to people who are way left, they're like, no, bro, you're fucking in the middle. You're, 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 not, you're right. How, how do you even call yourself liberal? Yeah, right, exactly. you're, you're right. It's like we're arguing over this political spectrum that, and we're trying to maybe reconfigure the political that, that's spectrum. Why, that's why if anybody's listening and saying like, oh, do, you know, what a, for people who think it's a dumb name to the show, I'm sorry, that's, that's where we're at. And if you- Well, if, we can't even talk if, about if, the, like if, even if, real, like the issues, like the culture war issues, bro, we can't bring up because if we were to bring them up and we were to have a real honest to God, nuanced conversation, which when we first started this thing, I was like, well, maybe we do take on a hard topic. No, we will. We're going uh, to we're, we're take on the culture dude, wars, especially when chances are someone's going to throw a rock at us. If yeah, they see yeah, us in public. I mean, yeah. Maybe, maybe somebody that we know will, but we are going to take that on. But I mean, we've been accused of being, you know, one way or on one side or the other, this thing. And that's how, you know, you're in the middle when both flanks, Hate you. Or hate you. Not, <laughs> not hate you, but just like criticize you and say. Oh, I'm sorry. You get criticized. You know, I get hate. You're not a true believer. Um, that's how you know you're sitting in the middle. And 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 I'm just saying the extremes never get anything done. And when they do get shit done, it's always damaging to society. And it just means. With when, limited rights. Well, yeah. When the, when the adults get back in the room, they have to spend all that energy, all that time, and all that money cleaning up the mess. Let's, you know what, here's the thing. This is where I don't, I don't necessarily want to leave it here, but this is a good place to end uh, this particular segment, particular segment, which is the leading cause of death for children now yes. in this country is gun violence. Right. Right. Now, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people saying that that's just wrong, statistical bullshit, left wing fucking propaganda. But if you look at the numbers, we're not talking about child cancer anymore. We're talking about child gun. running into bullets. Yeah. So, so here, so l l let me just say this. It, but like that's um, where our dogmatic bullshit gets us. John Stewart has a podcast and a show, which is we should probably advertise it because we don't which, do which is called I don't think it's popular enough. Which is called what's it uh, called? Problem John Stewart. Yeah, problem, yeah. problem John, John Stewart. And you can find this clip anywhere uh, on your computer. But he had a sit down with a, I believe it was a state senator, state rep, uh, state rep, state rep or state senator from Oklahoma. Oh yeah, Oklahoma. Um, I don't remember the guy's name. It's been a while now. I'm sure got a lot going on. It, yeah. Um, if you've not seen this, see it. Watch the discussion because it's about guns and it's a it's a it's a real discussion. And if you want to see the difference between a nuanced uh, approach and somebody who's armed with nuance and knowledge, and somebody who's responding with a complete lack of nuance, uh, you'll never get a better a better example. a better example yeah, of that. You won't. Yeah. Um, and you really should because it's a huge thing and. And it's not like, and, and I, I can I reiterate this point? It's not like anybody, like, I don't want to sit there and say, hey, John Stewart owned this guy, or John Stewart made this guy look like a fool. 
it wasn't Jon Stewart trying to make this guy look like a fool. It was the fact that this guy was armed with his dogmatic approach to politics, his ideological beliefs that were unbending, unyielding, un, un, unretractable. They, it has to be this way because there's no other way. And it looks as though, and it, and it, and it, John Stewart just walks all over this guy because he's using reason. He's using basic things that we use every day, like reason, to reason our way through the world. We're no longer allowed to do this because listen, it's not dogmatic enough. Yeah, listen, uh, we'll put it to you this way. I'm going to use Senator Ted Cruz as an example. Right now, Texas has a large number of issues on its plate. They have an energy crisis issue. Mm -hmm. They have a migrant issue. They have a real housing crisis issue. They have um, teachers and doctors that are leaving the state in droves for a number of different um, reasons based off of political decisions and laws that have been put into place. And they are experiencing the forefront of the endemic of mass shooting gun violence in this country. Um, and Senator Ted Cruz is putting all of his energy uh, just recently into opening up an investigation into Bud Light. And it's uh, tied to the trans uh, activist for their um, media. Well, to be fair, he's looking into the law pertaining to alcohol companies not being able to uh, reach out, I think was the legal, not even legal term, but the article that I read, reach out towards a younger audience. Like, so they, they're, they, they're, they can't really advertise or reach out for a demographic that is underage. And they're saying that his, his office, along with Ted Cruz, is saying that by reaching out to a transgender person who used on, on her blog, you know, uh, I think her blog was referred to as, or it's called like the girl's way or something, something to do with it. Girl was in the word. And he's using that as a, as a, an example that they were, they were trying to reach out to a younger audience. Um, although, you know, she, I mean, she's of age. She, you know what I mean? It's like, so, like, so, so after you explained all that, I'm going to repeat yeah. one more time. Yeah, please do. I'm just trying to say, I'm trying there's, to be fair. There's, to be fair. well, I think it just proves the point. Yeah. So after all that in-depth information, thank you for giving that to us. That's where all his energy is yeah. in all that. While there's a housing crisis a gun death ep epidemic, a migrant issue, teachers leaving, doctors leaving, energy crisis, housing crisis. That's what your state's, that's what your senator for the U.S. government. But at least he's not in Cancun. Right. I mean, I mean listen, dude, I mean, I, you don't want to be cynical, but I mean, some of these things, I mean, just the hypocrisy on all, a lot of these things, like, I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to just, insane. yeah. It's insanity. I mean, you, yeah. It's not meant for people who want to reason their way through life. It's meant for people who want to have that initial emotional reaction The dogmatic extremist approach is, you know, so, on the one side is you can't infringe on this right from 1776 that we're applying to weapons of the, <laughs> of the 22nd century, 21st, 21st century. Uh, well, it's going to be 22nd century soon enough. Could you, could you imagine what the 22nd century <laughs> weapon's going to look like? <laughs> I don't want to know. Dude, I got lasered in the face yeah, of school. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you have that approach. And then on the other side, you have people saying, you know, that all these things need to go away and be destroyed. And there needs to be, you know. And what I'm saying is, is just look at some facts. 
we have more guns than we have people here. And the more guns that we continue to flood into our country correlates with the more deaths to guns that we have. There's only one thing that you can connect when you look at all the data, and it's that more guns equals more deaths deaths by gun. And the countries that... Per capita. The countries per capita that have limited that or have common or sense... Or even states, gun, even yeah, states, states within the... States that have the common union. sense gun laws, guns per death, per capita. You know, it's, it's funny. We did this, didn't we? Didn't we do we a did. We, gun we, analysis Yeah, we did. We did. Where, we did. Yeah, where I bet you would assume California being one of the most popular states would be right up there right. in the top three. Not. Well, it's just like we had, even though California had one of the highest numbers of people that died from COVID, our per capita deaths from COVID was like in the bottom 10 states. Still Gavin Newsom's fault. No, of course. Yeah. Because they, you wonder why. Thanks you have for, to apply fancy yeah, science yeah, words. They, thanks, for, thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for saving so many lives. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, you suck. I, w- I wish more people I knew were dead. <laughs> just, just for, I hope people don't just listen to just, that part. Just, just for freedom. Because freedom's free, motherfucker. All right, anyway. Uh, that's, our, that's our episode on perspective and nuance. I think what we're basically trying to say is, you know, I, I would. Uh, all rapid, I'm going to say is this: there are things that we do in our lives. There's things that we're born into. If you're born into religion, that is perfectly fine. I'm not saying you, there's not that there's not a lot of value in that. It's okay to have a worldview. It's okay to have a worldview constructed that's based on tradition, traditional values, all of this stuff. That's great. That's fine. But allow for other things to seep in. Allow yourself to be challenged. Like seriously, like that's the, one of the most beautiful things about being alive is the fact that you're not going to have it all figured out by the age of 20 and you're not going to have it all figured out by the age of 30. And guess what? You're probably never going to have it all fucking figured out. Well, it's so allow other people into your lives that are going to challenge your pre your preconceived notions on all sorts of things. And dude, it's either going to reaffirm what you already think, you know, or it's going to allow you to grow as a person to allow for other things to, to allow for a more, I would say a more wide ranging worldview or just, just, or just be aware and nuanced in your thought. And it can be really simple steps. Like I'm sitting in the church pew and I'm listening to how Jesus cried, clothed, you know, the, the homeless guy and the sick and a homeless guy walks in the back and the ushers immediately move because the pastor makes a movement to usher the homeless guy out of the church. So nobody feels uncomfortable. Does that jive? Does that line up? Ooh, was, some, was that homeless guy a Democrat? Use some, use some nuance. Or if I'm sitting there down the street talking to, you know, the person who's got advertising how Christian they are all the time and they're ranting and raving to me about the homelessness issue and how there's homeless people all over the, the South Bay now and, you know, takers. And then, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go over to the food bank to, to go do some volunteer time. Like, what the, what the fuck are you talking? Like, like, it doesn't jive. Or... You know, if you're learning to a lesson about Jesus talking about turning the other cheek and your pastor's holding an AK-40, you know, AR-15 up and talking about freedom and how the government needs to stay out of our lives and religious freedom. You know, maybe think about that one for a second. You know, let that one hit you in the face. Turn the other cheek, wave around AR-15. No, it's not computing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so no, I, I get what you're saying. I just don't see how how to, how it, how I'm involved in this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't impact me. Anyway, um, that's our show for today. Um, we 
I'm not going to actually say what we're going to talk about next week because we are going to talk about some things. Maybe we you should maybe, maybe we should dive into the culture wars and risk oh, some of our listeners. God damn. Uh, to to kind of you know follow this like more nuanced discussion on some of these issues. Or actually, you know what, dude? We've never talked about this one. We should fucking talk about immigration, the broken immigration system. You should. And the border and the whole it's going to be obviously a multiple parter but also what undocumented workers mean to this economy oh florida's Ooh. finding out in a big way right now i mean no, I, no i'm being completely I, serious I, that, I, that bill that was passed just this past week uh i don't know if you saw the, some of the uh the protests that are going on down there where undocumented pro, uh, workers are no longer showing up to work and construction sites are closed down across the state because they just have... There's like 20 people that show up instead of 100. find out when a lot of businesses in this country have made a mint off of paying people shit. Nearly slave labor. It's a, it's a labor and issue. Ki- and kicking... much more and, to do with labor ki- than kicking, kicking people in the mouth, talking shit about them for politics, and then using and abusing them to make a to make the almighty dollar off of it. I always said unions shouldn't fear illegal immigrants. They should organize them. Yep. Yep. Because if you organize them, I mean... Caesar, Caesar, Chavez. Caesar Chavez knew that. And... He sat, sat right there sat, in that room. Over sat in there. a room right, ac- yeah. right across the hall yeah. from the studio with my folks. All right. Anyway, I think we're going to tackle, tackle the uh, immigration issue um, and kind of try and bring some sense to it because there's people all over the place on this thing and people don't even know. Yeah, people what from the, the left and the right. Yeah, don't I mean, know what the numbers are, yeah. don't know what is going on. And, and we'll look at the economic impacts, the reality of you know, the border, the reality of the broken system. Do both sides specifically not solve this issue so that it continues to be something that they can win off politically. So you're saying we have homework? We have homework. We have lots of homework. But if it takes us an extra week, this baby's not dropping until next Sunday. So we're going to go. Which means you guys are all going to be fooled. We're (laughs) taking the weekend off. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! All right. uh, Jimmy, good to see you. Nice to see you. Dusty Bottoms. Good to see you. Only one strike today. You didn't get up. You didn't get two strikes. Usually, you're averaging two strikes a session. I mean, oh God, the Russians! Average. Russians are flying in low. We gotta go. Bye.